Please stand for the reading of the word of God. Our scripture today is 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For this indeed is what you are doing to all brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do, to do this more and more, and to inspire to live quiet, quiet life to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Man, it is good to be together. It's good for those joining the second week in a row that we're doing Facebook Live. Feel free to share that if you see it online, too. Um, it's a great way for people to visit the church, who it might be hard or difficult for some reason to actually get here. We are in the middle of First Thessalonians. Next Sunday, we have a good friend of mine who is really instrumental. His role at Frontline, a church that played a huge role in sending us, his role is, is helping plant other churches. And so that's like his entire role. Jeff Nine is his name. Really amazing story. I'm going to really beg him to share a lot of his story, but he'll be here next week preaching um, because it's bow season. So I'm actually going to spend a few days out in my tree stand. And I was like, Jeff, it'd be awesome to have you come. And so hopefully I'll have stories of, uh, of amazing things that happened and can show you pictures. Uh, then Jeff will, will come and serve us really well that way too, as we start talking about the end times. That's a huge part of the book of First Thessalonians is they were enduring all of this hardship, all of this suffering, and they're kind of like, is, is this the end? Like, is this all we're talking about here? Or is there something else? Like, is there something else that we should be looking forward to other than just enduring the crazy year that we've been enduring? And so um, I think it's, it was a very appropriate message for the church in Thessalonica. And I think we'll find it's a very appropriate message. And J Jeff has been even, we talked the other day and he's like, man, I'm I am in this passage deep. It is affecting me personally, and I am trusting that, and I'm seeing why the God, God is having me come and share this message because it's one that I need to hear too. And so, so I'm excited for that next week. Feel free to invite, invite friends as well. Um, one of the major stories of First Thessalonians has been, I can't believe the church is okay. <laughs> These people became Christians. Uh, Paul and his friends were run out of town. And they're like, surely this thing didn't make it. Surely all of the, all the onslaught that Satan could throw at this church surely ruined the church. And man, hopefully they're still alive. And then he hears word, yes, they're still alive. They're actually thriving. God himself has been teaching them, has been all over them. And we are just rejoicing that even Satan couldn't destroy their faith. That faith in Jesus is faith in in roots, who, who we are trusting in is of such magnitude that nothing and no one can ever rip us out of his hands. And the Thessalonian church is such an example of this, of all the affliction that they're seeing. But one of the things that can happen, and I do this too, it's like, if I'm in my routine of life and my patty is like really good with, with healthy food and stuff, if I'm in my routine of life, um, I feel like I can kind of like stay with stuff, but like I went on a fishing trip with my brother-in-law and I can't believe how bad I ate during that fishing trip. Like it was out of the ordinary and he was like, oh, I'll take care of food. Well, he bought the, um, the mac and cheese 
where like you don't even have to cook it, you know, it's just like you just mix it and stir, which sounded awesome until I ate that for a couple of meals. And I was like, oh, I don't feel so good, you know, and like and my everything in my life had changed. And the way I was eating was so bad that like just life got bad and I was not enjoying the fishing trip. And so I was like, I think I need some vegetables. (laughs) Like, I think I need something healthy here. And I see like the church of the Thessalonians is kind of like this, where it's like, hey, you have had such a life turned upside down with all the affliction that's happening. Don't forget how we're supposed to live. Don't forget how I've taught you to live. Like just because, just because affliction comes our way doesn't mean everything gets thrown out the window. It's actually in the middle of the battle that I desperately care how you live, what your life looks like. And so, so last week was the first week where Paul really turns the letter to say, now finally, let's, let's remember that it does matter. The, the, the ends don't justify uh, or the means don't justify the ends. Did I get that right? However that goes, like, it's, it's important how we live right now um, for today and for the future. And so last week, our whole focus was on sexual immorality, that what we do with our bodies really, really matters. It, it very much matters for our health. It matters for the health of our, of our church body. And it also really matters for our community by how we approach sexual immorality, and that was our approach for the week, and we had incredible attendance in community groups. I thought no one would attend community groups knowing that's what we're going to be talking about last week, and man, props to those, those of you who came and jumped right in and were vulnerable. Uh, man, I, by God's grace, and this is something I'm working on too, because I think in our area, it doesn't come naturally, which is for us to be vulnerable, and to be vulnerable, I think a, a good thing with our community is that we are we really have a lot of self-sufficiency. So like the derecho hits, and it's like, no problem. I got equipment. I got this. I got this. We're going to bust this thing out. You know, we're not sitting around being like, someone please rescue us. That's a beautiful thing. And the flip side of it can be like, oh, I've got this. I've got this Christian life. I've got it. And instead to be vulnerable, to be like, I don't got it. I desperately need Jesus. I think he's got it, and I need what he has. And so for us to kind of join lock arms together and last week look at, like, such an important topic, and this week he's given us two more. Like, these are huge things in the middle of it all as, as we're really trying to push back darkness and see Jesus form a church here. How we live really matters, and there are two points today that I think usually go against each other, and he's going to show us actually go together, and we're going to see the first of these two big traits starting in verse 9 of First Thessalonians chapter 4. And Silas read it. A lot of you have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch on the Connect table. But then we also have these scripture journals, which is just the book of 1 Thessalonians, where every other page is just blank. And you can write notes and all sorts of stuff. So if the Lord starts revealing things to you, man, those are for you. So you can have one and and write it up, and and that can help us kind of remember what Jesus is teaching us. But uh, let's hone in now to verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. And this is a church that's maybe a year old, maybe two years old. You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more 
and more. And you might be like, I think he already said that. He did. Like we saw that last week. He said, hey, you're already been taught this. Now do this more and more. And so, so this will be a part of even as we learn as a church is like even things that we've been taught, a lot of it is like, okay, Lord, I, I know it. Now make it mine. <laughs> Teach it to me that I actually live it out. And we could say this first point like this. It is God's will for God's people to love God's people. We might have a slide up there. I don't know if we do. Um, but I'll say it again. It is God's will for God's people to love God's people. And that, that might seem like, duh. It might seem super just simple. Uh, but man, I think it's really important to just think about that. Like, it is God's will for God's people to love God's people. Now, God definitely cares about us loving him. He definitely cares about us loving him. His heart towards us is truly revolutionary. If you're like, what's God's heart towards you? I could say revolutionary, never experienced anything like it. My parents love me like crazy, and his love is on a different level. Romans 5.8 is a verse that he used, that God used to show me his love for me. Uh, This was actually the verse that in 1997, the lights came on, my heart opened up to him, gave my life to him through this verse. But Romans 5.8, look at how he loves us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his only beloved son. Like, I only have one son, Silas, and I love him like crazy. And it's like God sent his one and only beloved son while we were completely unworthy of it, while we were still sinners, he gave his best while we were at our worst. He gave his best when we were at our worst. And this was revolutionary to me because I was like, I got to do something. I know he's real now. I've got to do something so that he's like, oh, you're not as bad as I thought you were. Come on, get in here. Like, that's the way I was thinking. Like, if I could just stop sinning long enough, he would accept me. And then this verse showed me, like, no, it was actually while you were at your worst that I was at my best, and that I gave all. I gave my very best, and he volunteered for it for the rescue of us. So it's important for us to respond to his love. It's important for us to not neglect so great a salvation. It's important for us to receive his love towards us, putting our faith in him, walking with him. His heart towards us is revolutionary. It's a type of love that many of us have never experienced. I've talked to multiple people in our community who've said, I don't remember my dad one time ever telling me he loves me. I don't ever remember those words being spoken to me. And these words are spoken to us. And I can say, wow, you have a father who not just says he loves you, he does say that, but he also proves his love for us, and we respond to that. And we're not loved because of what we can do for him, or we're not loved until we screw up, but we're loved just because we're loved. And that's his heart towards us, is we're loved just because we're loved by him. So that's all true. But in this passage... 1 Thessalonians 4, we're taught again, and he's already mentioned this to us, but he's circling back around too, and he's saying, I just want you to desperately know your relationship with God is not a solo thing. 
Your relationship with God is not just this like, hey, I know God. Why do I need anybody else? Uh, there's, there's a guy in our community that we've talked to. He radically gave his life to Jesus. And it was like, I'm not going to attend a church. Why would I need that? I have Jesus. Why would I be? That's silly. That just seems silly. It seems backwards. Like, I have Jesus. Why would I need anything lesser? But here he's saying, no, like you're saved for something. And a major thing that we are saved for is to love each other. And it's hard to fake love. Like, I could say, like, be nice to each other, and it's like, oh, man, we could do that all day long. Like, I could, like, hate them in my heart, but, like, try on the surface to, like, be nice to them. But what he says, no, the maturity of my people and for my people to grow and for my people to be discipled, my will for them is to genuinely love each other. Because we can force a lot of things in life, but it's hard to force and fake genuine love. And Paul says here, the Thessalonians, that they were actually taught by God to love one another. Concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. There are over 1,100 chapters in the Bible. Uh, uh, about a third of the Bible is written in Greek. About two-thirds is written in Hebrew. And this phrase, taught by God, is actually one word. It's, called, it's uh, in Greek that was originally written. It's theodidaktoi. Theodidaktoi is the word, and it's only used here. It's, it's called a hypox legomena. There are certain words in Scripture that only occur one time. It's like Paul is like, what's... I mean, he's using the most unique word that he can think of to communicate this idea to us. It's a rare term, and one of the things that makes it rare is it doesn't refer to any teaching from the Old Testament. Because you can say, oh, I've been taught by God. He wrote the Old Testament, and so as I read the Old Testament, I learned from God. But it's like, no, that's not this word. This word is not referring to any passage in the Old Testament, it's not referring to the teachings of Jesus, because that would be being taught by God, too. It's like, oh, you remember what he said on the Sermon on the Mount? That would be being taught by God, but that's not this actual word. It could be a prophetic revelation to the church. Maybe it's through Paul or anyone else in the, in the New Testament, but instead, the way this word is formed, it's very descriptive saying that each individual person in the church in Thessalonica was directly taught by the living God to love each other. Maybe these people used to be enemies. Thessalonica was an urban center. You had people from all different parts of the empire. Some people had been slaves. Other people's slavery was so high in the Roman Empire. Uh, many people think there were more slaves than free people uh, at the time of Jesus in the in the Roman Empire, uh, there could have been all sorts of things going on. Maybe these people even just didn't think they had room in their life to truly love people in the church. They're like, man, those people, and I've got a history. You don't know what some people did to me in the name of Jesus, or, or you don't know that one time I was offended or whatever. Like, there could be all genuine reasons that someone would not want to love each other in the room. And for it to be said that God had to teach them means, like, it doesn't come naturally. 
It doesn't come naturally. And it could be like, well, I love Brandon because we grew up together. He's a good guy. He's fun to hang out with. And Brandon might be like, well, if you get to know me enough, you'll see all these other things about me of why I desperately need a savior and why I need Jesus. But I think where we get to a beautiful place is where I even recognize, like, there's a lot of things that I love about Brandon, but at the end of the day, push comes to shove. It's because Jesus is standing between us, because I see what Jesus has done for him. He sees what Jesus has done for me and all that we've been forgiven of, that I'm not easily offended by him. I'm, not, uh, I, I'm actually, like, for him. And that's part of what, what we looked at the other day is actually fighting for each other, not against each other. And man, there's, what if I find out that, that he votes for somebody that I'm not going to vote for? What if I find out he has a view of masks that I don't have the view of? What if I find out, find out, find out, find out, find out? And it's like, oh, I thought I liked him and now I don't like him anymore. But it's like God teaching me to love him because of God's heart towards him and God's heart towards me. God is showing us directly how to do this. Look at verse 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And uh, I, I think a cool part of this is Macedonia is like the state. So it would be like him saying, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Iowa or throughout the Midwest. It, it's a regional that, that includes several churches that we know of in the New Testament, but then also includes several churches that we don't know about through the Old Testament. And it just made me think, like, what if we love each other, and because we're growing accustomed to not being easily offended, but easily for each other, and the Lord is teaching us how to do that, maybe grudges that have been held on to for, for years, that, that we're laying those aside because of all that Jesus has done for us, and as that was happening then in Thessalonica, they're saying, like, that type of love is now spreading because they're now caring about other bodies of believers who are doing things like that. And, and it, it really made me think about um, there are a lot of churches that have been that for us where I could say, like, man, like, at a, the love that that church had for each other has spilled off onto us. And we are reaping the benefits of that. And the church that I thought of the most, there are several, but there's a church called Connection Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And these people are, like, insane. Like, if Jesus is not real, these people are just crazy. <laughs> but I don't think they're crazy. I think Jesus is real and that he has formed these people's hearts in a radical way. And when we were getting ready to plant the church, you know, to come up to a group of people who are, like, talking about what God's called them to and to say like, oh, I think God's called us to start a church in a town of 450 people and we're so excited about it. And, you know, some people could be like, what? Like 450 people? Surely God would call you to a city of 50,000 people or something, you know? And, and there was just, I was hearing a lot of that where I was like, no, this is exciting. This is a, these are amazing people, and this is an amazing area. And, and I, a lot of people just weren't seeing it and weren't thinking that God would call, call us to what's happening, you know? And I remember going up to this guy, Jonathan Land, uh, in Sioux Falls, and being like, hey, you don't know me at all, and I know you guys are in the city, but I believe, like, God's called us to plant a church in rural central Iowa. And he actually 
officiate some weddings at my brother's winery that's up close to there. So I knew that there were some connections there. And, and he was like, whoa, 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 stop talking. And I was like, what? He's like, stop talking. He's like, you don't have to sell me. You don't have to give me the elevator pitch. You don't have to convince me of anything. He's like, if God has called you to Iowa, we are, we are praying for Iowa. We love Iowa. So we are going to love you guys. And he was like, he's like, what do you need? What can we give you? So he gave us the stage. It's over a $5,000 stage. He's like, oh, just we'll get it to you. He's like, what else do you need? Do you need this? You need this? And man, these just ridiculously, this church, and it's not a wealthy church. It's not a church uh, that, I mean, it's a bunch of like 20 and 30 year olds in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but the love that they have for each other is contagious and it's spreading. And when, whenever I answer a call from him, I hang up and I'm like, Lord, help us be like this. Like help us have such a heart for what Jesus is doing that, um, that, that we're, we're getting after it, and, and it's, it's hard to even keep up with him. And maybe we see what something's doing in Des Moines that we want to be a part of, or something in Minnesota, or South Dakota, or North Dakota, or wherever it may be. Uh, would he author that in us, that our generosity and the love that we have would be seen throughout as we do this more and more? So verses 11 through 12, though, then do this fascinating thing. What verses 11 and 12 do is bring together our view of loving the church with how we're supposed to approach what we do for a living. I think it's so easy for us in our lives to get out of balance. It's so easy for us to like get so stinking busy with work. And that's why I was like, Jason, I can't believe you were on a combine until 11 o'clock last night and you were here at seven in the morning, like jumping after it, you know? He's like, there's nowhere else I'd wanna be. But it's so easy for us, though, to get so focused on work that our involvement in the church suffers. So easy for us to get so focused on work that our involvement in church suffers. And most people, though, would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's interesting, though, is the other way is true, too, which kind of feels wrong to say it. But we could actually get so focused on church that our work suffers, and that things that maybe God has called us to there suffers as well. And that's, Paul is bringing those, he's like, we're just going to talk about both of those right now. And so this is what he does in verse 11. So let's look at verse 11. And to aspire. So he's just talked about their love for each other. Then, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and de be dependent on no one. And I think one way that we could, uh, we could rewrite this is that our lives and our work should lead others to God. It's not just kind of the things that we proclaim here. It's actually things that we proclaim by getting our hands dirty that can lead others to God as well. And so some interesting things that we need to know about the Thessalonian church is that Thessalonica was an urban area. We already mentioned that, but it, it was on Roman roads, and there's a, a sea that was kind of south of there and stuff. And so it was kind of a thoroughfare. You know, there are a lot of exits that you could take. And one of the things that kind of came together is in the Greek worldview, manual labor was looked down upon. Manual labor was what, like, people did that couldn't do anything else. Manual labor was seen as, like, that's what the lowest of the slaves are supposed to do. 
And, uh, and so you could see that this was like really getting into the Thessalonian church was viewing work that way. So it seems that many were just not working. They were instead wanting to depend on other people and just wait for Jesus to come. It's like, well, it's Monday. I could go to work, but I'm actually going to wait for Jesus to return. So you see, that's why he starts talking about the return of Jesus coming right after this. But first, he wants to address work right on. And uh, that this is not at the expense of our jobs, what we're talking about. And he says here, we're actually to aspire to live quietly. Man, I think our culture is built for each of us to be famous, to be social media, to be, you know, for things to go totally viral. I remember my kids even asked me recently, like, Dad, what does it mean for it to go viral? Like, am I there yet with this post on YouTube, you know? And it's just, our culture is made for us to be celebrities. Our God, though, says we are free to be nobodies. We are free to be nobodies. Our culture says if we're unknown, we're failures. Our culture says if you are unknown, if someone ever comes up and is like, hey, have you heard of Adam Henderson? Nope, never heard of him. <laughs> well, I guess that's kind of embarrassing, right? Like that's the way our culture is like, if, if you are unknown, you're a failure. Our God says, I know you. He's the somebody. When he is the somebody in our life, being a nobody is just fine. When he's the somebody in our life, being a nobody is just fine. And here, like, we should hope to live quietly. And, of course, that doesn't mean, like, you're nobody in the way of, like, well, I'm a mat, you know, everybody walks on me and stuff. It's like, no, you are free to be yourself. You're free for Jesus to teach you all of the wonders of how he's made you and placed you where you are and all that's around you. Like, you will come alive and flourish more and more by actually being just living quietly and aspiring, like desiring that, to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to mind our own affairs. Um, I've noticed this. I even noticed this in my own heart. Like, if I'm not okay with God, and not okay with God just being God and me being me, then, like, I start sticking my nose in places where I shouldn't because I'm trying to control things and wanting to make sure that I control that the way I want it to be controlled. And I, I give that a little nudge by, by getting in the middle of it and stuff and, and, and trying to be all-knowing and trying to be omnipresent, all things that only Jesus is, right? I'm basically trying to be him as opposed to aspiring to live quietly, being able to just focus. Now, yes, there are times that we take the log out of our own eyes so that we can help with the speck in a brother or sister's eyes. We should do that. But in its way that like the overarching narrative of our lives is is to live quietly, to mind our own affairs, and to work with your hands. Now, this doesn't mean that like Man, if you have like a more of a white collar job, more of a managerial job, that like we should all like quit those jobs and like make sure we have like 75%, you know, dirt under our fingernails. Like it's not necessarily mean that, but it, what it is saying is like Jesus was a carpenter and I think he loved it. I really do. I think he loved what he did and I think he loved the smell of it. I think he, he loved um, getting his hands dirty and 
And for that to be the heart of the king of the world, us as sons and daughters of him, like we're destined to spend forever on golden streets in paradise with him. Like we are destined for that. So we can be quiet nobodies living lives here that are just totally fine getting dirt under our fingernails to the glory of God and love that and enjoy that and thank the Lord for the health to be able to do that. Then we see at the end of verse 11 that this is how the church was instructed to live. And man, would we grow as a people, would, we, would Sacred Mission Church grow in loving God's people so much that hundreds of miles from here, our love is known and is tangible, encouraging other believers, not so we could get the recognition, but at the same time that we could be nobodies, gospel nobodies, who do such a great job, quietly working hard, that people who don't know Jesus are wanting to follow him to have what we have. So that you may walk properly before outsiders, that our jobs, getting our hands dirty, the heart that we have as we approach all of that, that 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 would show people who are referred to here as outsiders. They're currently outside of Jesus that they may be able to come to him. And and the section ends too, and be dependent on no one. Uh, You know, the church there, many people in the church were, were were really being dependent on each other. And man, that's beautiful at times to just say like, hey, I, I need help. And what's beautiful, too, is to, to have the grace to be able to work hard in a way that we're able to just be generous to our community. This week, we were able to, to uh, uh, a person in our community, their uh, power was getting shut off uh, at noon, and we were able in the morning to get them totally current. And then uh, we had people who uh, they were two months behind on rent. And by God's grace, we've been generous and we were able to get them current, you know, and there are people who are actually able right now to have a roof over their heads, to have power in their home for their family uh, because of, of the ability for us to work hard, to be able to have funds, to be able to be generous to our community and, uh, and for us to be able to share, like, we're not doing this for us. We're doing this because of all that's been done for us and because God's allowed us to know you and we love you and we want to serve you. And, and this is allowing the church in Thessalonica to flourish and I think it's allowing us to step into it. And what's crazy is that was four verses, <laughs> 9 to 11, 12. I mean, like, there's such packed into, uh, that's the, the beauty of the Word of God, is there's so much packed in there that just in these four verses, uh, man, I think for our community groups, there's going to be so much to talk about for us just to see, like, how to walk into all this. But I think as we kind of see, okay, I don't want to play at church here. I don't want to just come and hear something and sing and get out of here. Like, I actually want God to meet with me. I want to be changed. I want to grow in him. I want this to be real for me, real for us. So just, I think a couple, just let's make this real for us questions. One is, and you can reword this if it makes more sense to you, but just an honest question. Do I love the people of Sacred Mission Church? Do I love the people of Sacred Mission Church? Am I growing here? Am I growing in this area? Am I, or am I growing and being easily offended? Like, man, I'm more frustrated with the people now than I was six months from now. Like, am I growing in that? Am I growing in believing the worst? I was an elder with 12, 12 other guys um, at a church in Oklahoma City for several years, and just us believing the best in each other and not being like, man, ah, if I was him, I would 
do it totally different, you know, and all this stuff. And just thinking that my way is always the best way, but actually, like, what if God is actually using them in beautiful ways? And what I'm doing is just judging them or whatever it may be. Um, And I've felt this hundreds of times in my own heart, so I'm just guessing that if we aren't feeling this in some ways, that, you know, God has led us this passage to hopefully prepare us to be able to love each other more and more. And I think a good question is, am I growing in receiving love from other people? Sometimes it's easy to make it a one-way street and be like, man, am I growing in being able to receive love from other people? I think a few areas of like, do I love the people of Sacred Mission Church? One response could be salvation. It could be giving your life to Jesus. It could be saying, man, I've been, I think I've been trying to get right with God on my own. And when I see his love for me while I was yet a sinner, seeing that people are taught directly by God, by the Holy Spirit, which scripture says we are given the spirit in an intimate way that's different than how everybody may be influenced by God, that when you put your trust in Jesus, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who's your deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. And there is a, there is a unique way that the Holy Spirit is moving in people who are followers of Jesus. And so in actually desiring to love the people of Sacred Mission Church, a first response, first res- way that you should respond for some will be to give your life to Jesus. I think another way that some could respond is to try a community group because I, this is a place, and the guys that were around my fire pit Thursday night, to have the vulnerability that we had in talking about sexual immorality and then to actually be at a place where we are really praying for each other, we are really locking arms with each other, we're really able to get into each other's stories, um, made me love the people more, made me love all the guys more that were there. And, uh, and I don't want to keep that to myself. Like I, I would love for, for all of us to be able to step into that, and that might be a next step for you. For some, membership might be it. Um, it's been a joy to do, Patty and I have been doing membership interviews, which sounds really formal, but it's really just a couple hours sitting down over dinner usually and just looking at like how Jesus is forming you into the church and ways that your gifts may come alive in the church. And it made, this morning I was thinking about it and I was like, when did I sit down with my pastor for two hours and really have a serious conversation about how God was calling me to use what he's given me in the life of the church. And for me, I had been a follower of Jesus for over 10 years before I had any conversation with my pastor in that way. And, uh, and so it could be a beautiful time too to, to see ways that we could love each other by stepping more and into uh, how he's designed us. And so um, and then I think the final sub-question under do I love the people of Sacred Mission Church is do I need to get right with someone in the church? There's all sorts of passages uh, in Scripture that are even like, as you come to communion, if you realize that you have conflict with somebody, you should just like skip and just go and meet with them and talk to them and ask their forgiveness. So do I love the people of Sacred Mission Church? Uh, Then I think second one is, is my life and my work a light to others? If someone's like, well, man... (laughs) I've got a, I want to be your friend, but don't watch my life and don't watch my work. We, we don't need two of this level of chaos. We don't need two of, of this type of things. Like, is my life and my work a light to others? Um, I think a good question is, am I okay being a nobody? 
I had a counselor, a friend of mine was seeing a counselor, and the counselor, after talking to my friend for a while, was like, I think you have enough courage to be a martyr for the faith. Like, I think if they were like, reject Jesus or die, I think you'd be first in line to give your life for Jesus. And my buddy was like, I like how you're talking, you know? And then he's like, I think you have enough courage to be a martyr. But then his second question was, or his second statement was, I don't think you have enough courage to be a nobody. I think it's like I'm a martyr or I can't handle the other, the other, you know? And that was the big challenge to my buddy is, am I okay letting Jesus increase so he might decrease, as John the Baptist said? Am I okay being a nobody, letting Jesus be the somebody? Second, am I, under this is my life and my work a light to others. Am I okay not being involved in everything? Am I okay trusting that God is using other people and, and I don't have to be involved in every conversation? I don't need to be controlling everything. Can I just let God be God? I think third, am I okay working hard with my hands? Or do I shame myself every time thinking like, well, I should be the CEO of this or I should be famous and have other people do this stuff? Or, or am I okay just living a simple life, working hard with my hands or, and whatever that kind of looks like for you? As Paul mentioned this, my heart for here is like, let's be taught by God to do this more and more. <laughs> like that's kind of, the end goal here is not like, oh, I got to, I got to go home and try really hard to fix all this stuff. It's like, no, that's dead religion. That's a hamster wheel that has no freedom. What the good right move is, God, teach me to do this. Would you teach me directly? If you're actually asking me to do this, the only way I can do this is if you teach me how to do it. You give me the power to do it. You give me even the desire to want to desire to do this has to come to you. My, my eyes have to go to you for you to disciple me, for you to teach me, for you to grow me. And Lord, would we have open hearts that are full of just a desire for you to do this more and more. Lord, would you keep us from filling up this moment with excuses, filling up this moment comparing ourselves to others in the room, outside the room? Would you give us grace to keep us from pride Lord, would you fill up this moment with your presence? Lord, would you open us up to you? Would you maybe do surgery on our souls in ways that both the way that we are towards each other and the way that we are towards work are a light to other people? Not so that we can be great, but that your greatness would be on full display to us, having a front row seat to what you're doing in our lives, to our family, to our community. Lord, for those in the room who need to give their lives to you, Lord, would they put their trust in you right now, have their sins forgiven? Would they come home running to you? Lord, would they give their lives to you? If uh, It would be good for them to talk to someone who brought them or to talk to me or to talk to somebody else, Lord. Would you just make it irresistible for them to leave without talking to, uh, to someone and getting right with you, giving their lives to you. And Lord, for those of us who are followers of you, Lord, you tell us before we take communion to repent of any known sin. So Lord, would you convict our hearts? Would you just fill us with a vision of, of what you have for us? Lord, would you keep walls down? 
Keep us open to you, open to each other. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we do have the privilege to, to take communion. This is his idea. This is his words for us to commune with him. Uh, we have wine. It's marked here and juice. There's some gluten-free crackers, but it's kind of a cup within a cup. And so if you separate it, the bread is on the bottom. Kind of separate it easily. I did it quickly yesterday or last week, and the bread flew out and stuff. And so, so be careful doing that. Um, but um, what Jesus taught us is that the bread represents his body that was given for us, lived in our place. He lived the life that we should have lived but couldn't. And he had the power to perfectly represent us in the life that we should have lived. And then the wine or the juice, obey your conscience there, represents his blood that was shed for us. The book of Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That's the magnitude of our sin, but it's also the magnitude of his sacrifice. That him shedding his blood once pays for every sin that we have ever or will ever commit. There is freedom in his blood. So we take this communing with him. We take this as a declaration of our freedom. We take it as worship to him. So let's, let's spend a few moments just repenting of any known sin. This is, we should not come quickly to the table, but we should come courageously because of his grace and love towards us. So let's, let's come. And then the way that we'll do it is we'll, we'll take the elements and then we'll stay standing and we'll take it together as family.